This is Out of Office for Thursday, the 12th of December, 2013. Today we're going to be talking about trends for 2014. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm really well. Happy birthday. Yeah, it's almost my birthday. We're not going to divulge exactly when it is or exactly how old well, I am. I'm you, sensitive about those can, kinds of things. You can tell people when it is, <laughs> even if it's not where, how old you are. Okay. Yeah, all right. It's tomorrow. Send your presents. That's right. And you're the same age as I am, which is yeah. 25. That's right. I've caught you up. <laughs> yes. So, look, it's close to Christmas as well. So, do you have this tradition of making sure that your family gives you birthday presents and Christmas presents? Yeah, I do. Two lots. <laughs> yes, it's good to establish that earlier. My dad did the same thing, and his birthday is on the 21st of December. Today, we're going to be talking about what's coming up next year, because this is our last episode for the year, and we're going to be talking about some of the out-of-office trends that we're seeing for 2014. And some of these things we've talked about throughout 2013, but they're growing even more in 2014. So we're going to talk about some of the trends that affect out-of-office workers and the, and the offices that they work in and the offices that they don't work in as well. So it's the organizations that they work with. So we're going to talk about them in a number of different areas. And this is a, a little bit unstructured, but we thought to add a little bit of structure to this, let's look at some of the typical activities and the day-to-day operations that workers do and look at how they apply in the out-of-office workplace and how things, typically technology things, are helping and facilitating those things uh, in 2014. So I think let's start with uh, the whole idea of the out-of-office work style in general, Chris. Telecommuting is definitely on the rise, and it's something we spoke about fairly recently, and it's a trend that's been happening for the last few years. I guess it's a trend that's happened, that's accelerated for a couple of reasons recently, Uh, partly because of the economic downturn around the world. It meant that people want to cut expenses. Uh, So they're doing things like off-site meetings. People are working from home so they can save money. Uh, There are expenses that are saved through office infrastructures. Um, But also technology has made it more possible and feasible for people to work out of office. And uh, this is happening all around the world. I saw some predictions that by 2016, four out of 10 US professionals will be doing some sort of out-of-office work. And here in Australia as well, it's a growing option for at least internet-savvy businesses. The Australian Bureau of Statistics is predicting that, uh, well, even at the moment, more than a third of micro-businesses are using the internet to enable staff to work from home. And for larger businesses, the number's even bigger. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that those numbers are as small as the statistics reveal. So only 40% in the case of um, US professionals, that's their prediction, um, and currently about a third of micro-businesses uh, in Australia. I thought that that would be much larger, but perhaps my being an out-of-office worker, Gihan, uh, I'm interacting more with people who've got that facility available to them. But nonetheless... Um, those are relative. That those are still fairly significant proportions, um, and also those numbers are growing. So, the other statistic that you dug out was the growth 
in uh, telecommuting in the US. It's grown 80% almost since 2005. And that's at the same time as there's been a decline in the overall US workforce. So the, the workforce itself declined by 2%, but the number of people telecommuting regularly grew by 80% in that seven-year period, which I think is, is a phenomenal trend. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. And, and I take your point about the, the numbers still being fairly low. And my, my guess is that they're excluding people who may occasionally take some work home because they need to be at home all day because the plumber's coming around sometime. Uh, I'm assuming that those aren't the people that are counted, but it's people who are, when they say people work from home occasionally, I'm assuming that it's some sort of regular setup where they yeah. can do either the semi-commuting or, as, we, as you're doing, the full-time telecommuting. Yeah, and, and the other statistic that you mentioned briefly was that for larger businesses, three-quarters of them in Australia have the facility to support that kind of thing, and that's encouraging that the technology is making it possible and businesses are, are making use of that. Yeah, exactly. In fact, that was probably the biggest number, wasn't it, three-quarters? Mm. So if you're one of the remaining 25% or lower, you're lagging behind. Too bad. Yeah, that does make a difference. That's certainly making a difference to uh, employment choice, talent retention, recruitment, uh, Certainly the out-of-office lifestyle is something that is highly desirable. People, we've, we've quoted numbers earlier, Chris, where people are happy to take a pay cut or um, not have a pay rise if they can get some sort of flexibility in their work style. And more and more, that's going to be something that em- employees are going to be requesting and perhaps even demanding. That's right. And I think particular demographics like Gen Y and baby boomers are particularly attracted to that sort of thing. And so uh, if you're not, if you don't have those facilities available, then you are missing out in terms of uh, attracting workforce and retaining them. Yep, exactly. All right. Shall we move on uh, to uh, some more specific ski hunts? So let's actually look at uh, the office, the workplace. So uh, depending on what kind of out of office worker you are, your office might actually be a regular office. If you're a semi commuter, you might be spending part of your time at a regular office and part of your time, say, working from home. Or if you're like me, you might be an e worker who spends uh, most or, if not all, of their time working remotely. Or you could be a digital nomad like Yugi Han who travels a lot as part of their work style and so works on the road and works from um, uh, clients' offices and also works from their own home office. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I guess what we're talking about here is that like your office is no longer a typical traditional office. So what what are the trends that are going to help us um, you know, facilitates the sort of work that we want to do from elsewhere. So for the people who do work from a fixed office, even if that's a home office, so people like you, Chris, or um, even if they're doing that part-time, here in Australia, of course, we've got the National Broadband Network, and that's been a bit, a bit, a bit of a political hot potato recently. <laughs> so we don't exactly know where, it is, where it's up to, but it's, it's going to go ahead in some form or another. And uh, it seems to have slowed down a little bit. And I don't know whether Malcolm Turnbull is kind of preparing us for more bad news, but there's some warnings. <laughs> there's definitely some warnings about a slowdown of the of the rollout. But certainly the National Broadband Network, the NBN, is going to be something that's going to facilitate out-of-office work where for both for both e-workers, the so full-time telecommuters, and for part-time telecommuters, or what we call semi-commuters. Yeah, and for a lucky few like you, Kihan, you can actually see it out of your window, can't you? Whereas uh, when I look on the NBN Co. website, uh, it's not even on their plans to do my suburb. Well, it's funny you say that, Chris, because you're absolutely right. So I took a photo last week of some NBN workers uh, outside, yeah, just outside my, my front garden. Uh, and yet when I look on the NBN Co. website, it, there are no plans for my, my suburb <laughs> okay. either. So, okay, maybe it isn't. <laughs> so maybe it's just for show. 
<laughs> yes, but uh, as you say, um, when we get it, uh, it will improve the uh, infrastructure for access to the internet uh, in Australia, at least. Yeah, and that's true, and that, that's that's definitely true for having sort of fixed line. What's what's uh, so non wireless? The so wired connections are going to be much better when we have the NBN in place. Switching over to uh, wireless connection gear, Hans. So recently, in our against. Uh, focusing not just on Australia, but focusing on Perth, uh, the, in the central CBD, they've rolled out one of these new municipal wire, free wireless plans. So they've got a Wi-Fi network that covers much of the central business district in Perth. So you can hook into uh, that wireless network for free and get access to the internet. Yeah, that's right. And, and that is the way it's been set up is mostly for casual users rather than people who are going to sit themselves in a park for the whole day and do their their daily work. However, if you want to be like if you want to be a digital nomad and you want to spend some time in a cafe somewhere or in a park within the city of Perth, you can do that now. That certainly helps us as digital nomads. Yeah, and as you say, it's the first in Australia, but there are many more cities around the world that are taking these kinds of initiatives. And so, digital nomads uh, around the world will have access to these kinds of uh, these kinds of free municipal services. Uh, if you don't have that, then you have to rely on things like um, your mobile broadband, and uh, and that can be expensive uh, if you're on the road. You've got uh, you'll have a particular plan, and it's easy. I find not just with my mobile, but also with my home plan to go over my quota. So what uh, what can we do about that, Kihan? Yeah, look, I, I think the telcos are certainly becoming more aware of that and they are providing more generous data plans. Uh, like mine is, I think, three gigabytes a month, which is sufficient for me as a digital nomad to be able to use my data plan when I'm out on the road because that's not my whole download, of course. When I'm in my home office, that's when I'll be doing most of my work. But the three gigabytes gives me enough. The The real catch is when you go over... When you go over, you get charged per megabyte, and that can be very expensive, or, or they'll slow down your plan. And uh, I'm noticing now some telcos, uh, Optus in particular, and there's a Live Connected, which is one of the mobile providers that uses Optus, introduced early this year a sliding plan. And I heard somebody say that's even available here. And initially, it was only in Sydney, Chris, but I heard here that Optus is doing that now as well. I'm not sure about that. I haven't found anything to verify that. But the idea is that you sign up to a plan, and if you go, if you spend more than that plan, they will automatically push you up into the next plan for that month. They give you the best of both worlds. So if you only go over mm. by a tiny amount, then they'll charge you the tiny uh, overcharge fee. But if you go over by more than the extra $10 that it would cost you to go to the next plan up, they'll push you up into the next plan just for that month. And then at the end of the month, you go back into your lower plan. So it seems like they're being very customer friendly that way. And that is a, that's a very positive step. Yeah. Yeah, so that avoids those exorbitant per megabyte fees. Whereas I have a pay-as-you-go plan, so I pay for those exorbitant per megabyte fees up front. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so the other office trend that's worth mentioning, Gihan, and that is uh, bring your own device, BYOD, or as our friend in banking calls it, bring your own disaster. And this is uh, a trend that um, Gartner chose as their number one, uh, their number one trend in their annual um, report on technology trends. And uh, a statistic that buoys that is that in Australia, we love uh, tablets. So, 7 million people use a tablet. So, that's, um, that's a third of the population who are regular users of tablet devices. And we don't just want to use them at home. We want to use them at work. So, we want to bring them into work and we want to use them as out-of-office workers as well. The flip side of that 
is uh, the headache that BYOD can cause for IT departments. They're typically very conservative. They want to lock things down and control devices. So BYOD has been a bit of a, a management uh, challenge for IT departments, but it is nevertheless a growing trend and one that they need to accommodate. So let's move on to the actual workflow. So we talked about the office itself, but within within your office, which might be a home office or somewhere uh, outside a traditional office, how do you manage things? And uh, the big thing, of course, and we've talked about this as the, the biggest facilitator for out, the out-of-office workshop, Chris, is, of course, the cloud. The fact that you can now store your data, your applications, everything that you need is available in the uh, on the internet, which means that you don't need to copy files across to your individual devices. And this this comes into two areas. There's the personal cloud and the shared cloud. So personal cloud is the idea that you've got your information available to you from multiple devices, from your computer, your tablet, your phone, all your private information is available. And the Apple devices are particularly good at this. Uh, and in fact, they're particularly designed for that. So you can have your your music collection available from your phone, uh, from your iPhone, your iPad, and your Mac. Uh, but they're not so good at the shared data, having data in a shared cloud, whereas the Google uh, infrastructure is set up very much for that. They facilitate sharing much better. Uh, so things like Google Drive, which we use to share documents when we're working on a podcast episode together, Chris, uh, it's in your private Google Drive, but you've got the ability to share that with me. And both of those things are very important uh, for out-of-office workers. The personal cloud more so so that you can be mobile, and that, guess, this applies more to semi-commuters and digital nomads. But the shared cloud uh, applies to all out-of-office workers because it means that we've all got access to documents, to software, to applications from wherever we are which means that we don't need to go into the office anymore to get access to the files that we need. That's right, Kihan. One of the central principles that we have in our book is that, I think it's, to quote it, it's as much as is practical, use the cloud for collaboration. Um, And it's that as much as is practical that we included there, things like Google Docs, as they were called in those days, the, the word processing software that Google provided in the cloud wasn't quite as as good as, uh, well, it wasn't as good as, say, Microsoft Office, the desktop productivity suite. But I've really seen a significant improvement in things like Google Docs. So the word processing software is much better. So that, as much as is practical, I think is actually reducing. It's becoming much more practical to use the cloud. It's, it's even becoming preferable. It's still not as Google Google's document, it's, it's, it's word processing software is still not as good as uh, Microsoft Office, but Microsoft Office now has a cloud offering as well. I think it's called Office 365, where you still use the desktop software, but all the documents themselves are in Microsoft's cloud, whatever that's called. So we're moving to this stage where using the cloud is not just practical, it's it's preferable. Exactly. And I think the other thing related to that, Chris, is not just that the applications have got better, but it's just that we're now, as we said earlier, we're now much more mobile and much more willing to uh, willing and capable of accessing the cloud from anywhere that we are. Yeah, yeah. So another part of information workers' uh, work style is attending meetings, and that's particularly important for out-of-office workers. So we need to maintain contact with our colleagues and clients, and so we're regularly meeting. A trend that we've observed, Gihan, is uh, a growth in video conferencing, and uh, you dug out a statistic that uh, that said there's 
been an 8% growth in video conferencing. But I think that that particular survey just looked at the sale of video conferencing equipment. And nowadays, you don't need specialized hardware and software to do video conferencing. It's built into our tablets. It's built into our notebooks. It's built into our phones. Uh, so that, that 8% growth only looks at what is only revealing a fraction of the growth in video conferencing, I feel. I think that the growth in video conferencing is being, is much greater than that. I think you're right, Chris. And we did a we did a podcast episode about video conferencing very recently. So it's worth referring back to that if you want to find out more about it, because you're absolutely right. So we're not just talking about sales of video conferencing hardware and software, but we're talking about people actually doing things like just pulling out their phone and making a video phone call or just informally setting up a Google Hangout, which they can do with the equipment that they've already got. So I have noticed there's a significantly better than it was even a year or 18 months ago. And there are companies like Citrix, and maybe I'm a bit biased because Citrix is a client of mine, so maybe I'm seeing their bias on it, but they're really pushing the idea that video is realistic and viable alternative now to actually meeting in person. Um, but yeah, there's certainly the quality of the, the video conferences that I'm involved in are much higher and the, they're actually much more reliable. So there are far fewer technical glitches, uh, which used to really plague most online meetings, uh, both audio and video. You still get the occasional problem with, with people's video but it really is something that's it's feasible and uh, and to use the word earlier, Chris, uh, sometimes it's preferable. Yeah, and uh, so you've seen an improvement in the software and hardware gear, huh? but have you used a, a telepresence robot? <laughs> so look, I've seen these and I've seen videos of these telepresence robots. And uh, so the idea is that you have this robot that you can control remotely. And this one is it's very cleverly done. It's just a, it's like a, a mobile stand. It's like a Segway. Yeah, uh, it's like a segue that you stick an iPad into instead of sticking a person on top of, and then you have somebody else remotely. Uh, so you, uh, remotely with the second iPad, are controlling that, and so you can turn up, uh, or your your proxy can turn up in the form of one of these telepresence robots into a physical meeting room. Yeah, it is very cool, and if it looked like a Dalek, I'd really want one. <laughs> but like a Dalek, I'm not sure that it can negotiate stairs or get through doorways. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they're a, a, a gimmick, but uh, time will tell. I'm, I've, I've been stung in the past by writing things off. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been stung by one of those robots. <laughs> maybe, so maybe. The, 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 the thing that I don't like about that, apart from the fact that it's just quirky and gimmicky, is that what they're trying to do there is to try to simulate uh, and duplicate the physical, the, the physical presence. presence. And I'm not sure that's the right way to go. I think there is value in having virtual meetings and saying this is not the same as a real meeting, as a, as a physical in-person meeting, but in some ways this can be better. So let's take advantage of the technology that's out there rather than just trying to have a very thin version of you with a flat face turning up <laughs> at the, in the physical meeting room. So getting back to uh, the technology itself, there, there, there is still, I think, a mindset that's um, holding video conferencing back. And I think, Kihan, you've talked about the adoption of um, technologies as going through four phases where it's impractical, then it becomes feasible, then it becomes uh, was it attractive and then preferable. And I think a lot of people are still stuck in that mindset where it was at one stage impractical, the technology didn't work well, it was expensive to get it working well. But now we're, we're at that stage where the reality is that video conferencing is um, attractive, if not preferable. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if you have tried video conferencing before and find it difficult, you may actually be at a disadvantage and you're better off thinking, 
just forget about everything I ever knew about video conferencing. Let's let's start afresh and see what's available now because you might find it's significantly different than what you might have experienced in the past. Yeah. Um, so that's talking about actual meetings where you do, you're talking about virtual meetings. But of course, sometimes you do need to meet in person. Uh, off-site meetings are something that out-of-office workers sometimes do get involved with. Even the people who are full-time telecommuters like you, Chris, you do occasionally go to meetings, events and conferences. That's right, yep. And I think uh, they're an important part of the out-of-office work style because um, research shows that there are about a third of -of out-of-office workers who do suffer a bit with the isolation that comes with an out-of-office work style. So if they get to attend occasional off-site meetings where they get to meet face-to-face or belly-to-belly with real people, they're they're not a virtual presence or a virtual team member, then that helps those people... um, uh, work more effectively and feel more integrated with the people that they work with. I think what we've found is in the past few years, uh, let's say three or four years ago, because of the global financial crisis and the economic downturn, there was a significant drop in offsite meetings. And we're not just talking about you know, going into the office for a meeting. Um, I'm talking about business meetings, conferences, events, associations getting together uh, for their annual conference and uh, having monthly chapter meetings. There was a significant drop off. And it was due to the expense and uh, people, uh, organizations, rightly or wrongly, would see that this was an expense that they could cut. Uh, I know the meetings industry had quite a downturn and it seems that that's picking up now in in the Asia Pacific area. I saw some one stat, which again, I think is a little bit biased because it's from the Asia Pacific Incentives and Meetings Expo, where they were pretty optimistic and pretty bullish about the growth of business meetings next year. Uh, Although they didn't actually quote, I, I looked around, I couldn't see any research that they specifically quoted. They were just making general comments saying, um, Asia Pacific is growing. There are this many meetings in Sydney. This many meetings in the in the Asian region, and we need to be uh, be aware that it's going to grow and going to be even bigger in 2014. Uh, but I think uh, I did find some research on a, on a more global scale, which suggested that yeah, there there are some there is a growth, but it's moderate growth. And this is from the uh, CWT report about the meetings industry and was looking at specifically uh, 2014. Right. And Gihan, do you think that moderation in growth has been affected by the fact that you know, video conferencing is now much more feasible? It's, it's, it's attractive even. Do you think that that's eating – are you seeing the sorts of things that were once held off-site, these sorts of uh, chapter meetings and conferences – are things like video conferencing taking a bit of their market away from that? Look, I haven't seen any research around this, but my gut feeling is no. You'd think it would, wouldn't you? But I think what's happening is a couple of things. I think now off-site meetings integrate more technology. So there are more online components to offline meetings, whether that means stuff that happens before or after the meeting or the st- stuff that happens during the meeting. So live streaming, for example. So that's certainly happening. The other thing that I think that video conferencing has done is it's created meetings that otherwise wouldn't have existed. And you might say, well, why would you want to create extra meetings in a, in a sure. busy life? However, it's created the opportunity to bring people together who otherwise just wouldn't have done it because it wouldn't have been physically possible or affordable to bring people together for a meeting. But you can do that now through a video conference. So my guess is, or my gut feeling, is that the growth in offsite meetings is probably just reversing that, that downturn that we had earlier. And the fact that it's only moderate growth is just that we're coming out of that slump now. 
Okay. Um, and there are some trends that are happening with these offsite meetings. Uh, that again, coming out of this CWT report, they're saying that the offsite meetings are closer to home, so people are having more um, like domestic rather than international meetings, um, and and regional rather than national meetings, um, and that's because they want to keep the cost down. Uh, there's, there seems to be a trend that organisations are holding more meetings, but they're smaller meetings. And they're really focused on the ROI and not just on having a you know, great networking event where people get together and celebrate and have fun, but it really has to have real commercial value as well. And they also recommended that organizers focus on the attendee experience. So quality, as you'd expect, should be uh, one of the major drivers for organizing these meetings. Yeah, look, and I think it's just the, the, the greater demand and the great expectation that if you go somewhere, you're going to get real value from it. It doesn't mean that you can't have fun, and it doesn't mean that there can't be social things uh, organized around those meetings. And I know you found, Chris, when you've attended your work conferences or even just going to the office, you have interactions which facilitate the work that you do with people later, even though there may be social interactions. And I think people expect that, and that's one of the benefits of off-site meetings. For sure. Yep. And in fact, off-site meetings are part of what we're going to talk about next, and that is professional development. So I think uh, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, his, was it his seventh habit, Gihan, that is sharpened the saw? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, that's professional development. And one of the trends that we've observed for out-of-office workers is that of MOOCs, massive open online courses. And we've both uh, participated in MOOCs this year. I did one on data analysis in March, and you've done three or four, I think, Gihan. Yes, although mine weren't as massive as yours. <laughs> So, again, we did a podcast episode about this where we shared your experience, Chris, of going through a Coursera course. And I think that is worth listening to for people who missed that because uh, I think you really went into depth and you you had the diligence and the discipline to actually complete that course. And it was quite significant, wasn't it? But it was it was worthwhile. It sure was. It certainly was. And um, yeah, the M stands for massive and there were tens of thousands of enrollees. But as I'll say later, the dropout rate is quite high. But it is a it's it's a growing trend and it fits really well with um, the out of office work style. So the kinds of MOOCs offer the same sorts of flexibility in terms of when and where you engage with the coursework. uh, and, And that meshes really well with the flexibility that the out of office work style affords. So I think they're a good fit for out of office workers. And it's a growing trend. So the supply is growing. So a a survey I saw um, that interviewed higher education institutions, 56% of them either already offer MOOCs or are planning to do so within the next three years. And that uh, about 84% of them would consider teaming up with one of the established providers such as Udacity or edX or Coursera. You you know that it's becoming mainstream when you actually are getting the higher education institutions saying, yes, we're willing to jump on board because we realize that this is actually a viable alternative. And the one that I used was one called Open to Study, which mm-hmm. uh, they had a number of courses and they were, they were, they were about four-week courses and they were on small topics, but important topics. So I did one on food and nutrition, which is one that I was really interested in. I didn't, I didn't have a lot, lot of knowledge about, so I thought this would be useful to immerse myself in the content. did one on big data, which was one that I was really interested in learning the content. I knew something about it. I did one on financial literacy, which was something one where I, I pretty much knew the content. It was basic stuff like budgeting and what do you do if you inherit $500? Do you, you know, go on a holiday or put it towards your... And put it towards your credit card overdraft. Buy a birthday present for yes. a friend. 
yeah, and but these these courses did have some academic um, institutions. I think Macquarie University was running one of the courses. So even though they weren't as big and as rigorous as some of the other MOOCs, there was certainly still high quality education. Yeah, yeah. There's different offerings, Gihan. So some of them you can actually get course credit. Some of them are really just there for your own edification. You don't get any any qualification at the end of it other than what you've learned, and, and that's valuable too. So that's the supply side. On the demand side, um, Coursera, which has only been around for, is it two or three years? They've already attracted 5 million enrollees. And edX, which I think have been around for even less time, they've already had 1.3 million people enroll in their courses. So that's a huge number of people who've who've enrolled in these courses. However, 90% of people drop out. So I was one of the 10% who completed the Coursera course that I did on data analysis. A lot of people focus on this high dropout rate and, and say that that reflects perhaps on the quality. But I think because there's such a low barrier to entry, a lot of people are just diving into MOOCs to get a feel for them. And in fact, that was one of the motivations for me enrolling in the Coursera course. I just want to find out how they worked. Um, and they're not necessarily, you know, because there's a low barrier to entry, it's, they haven't invested much. And so they, they're inclined to drop out as well. So I don't think the high dropout rate is necessarily uh, a negative thing. I agree with you, Chris, and I was one of the 90% because I enrolled in a Coursera course about climate change because, again, that's a topic I'm interested in. But I found that the amount of work that was involved for me to do it properly and to do it at a level I would be happy with was too much at the time. And so I, I dropped out of that. Uh, and I completely agree with you. I think that a lot of people join because it's easy to join. And uh, I was one of those people. I was also interested in the technology, of course, behind it. But mm. I was also going, okay, well, if this is only going to take me a couple of hours a week, then I'm, then I'm happy to do that. Uh, and I think the dropout rate is more relevant for um, organizations with out-of-office workers rather than the workers themselves. So if, if you're a motivated and disciplined person and you want to learn something and you realize this is part of your professional development and as an out-of-office worker, you may miss out on some of the, say, in-house training that your, your colleagues are getting, then you're motivated enough to do the course. But I think as an organization, if you've got out-of-office workers and you're thinking of how you're going to give them professional development, don't automatically assume that just because these MOOCs are available and they're free and they're supported by higher education institutions that you can just tell people, do this MOOC in your spare time and that, that will do, that you can tick off the professional development box. I don't think that's reasonable. You just have to understand, you have to understand that just like your in-office workers who are going to go to training courses and spend spend time away from work doing that and then have follow-up mentoring to make sure that that is that learning is embedded in the workplace you have to assume that your out-of-office workers are also going to need that level of support and and time and resources available yeah okay and i think when that is uh this bears out a, another statistic I saw. So a survey of higher education leaders, three quarters of them rated the learning outcomes as equal to or superior to face-to-face -face learning. So I didn't dive into the report to, to get to the nitty gritty of that, but that was a, a really interesting, um, an interesting statistic. And um, I certainly was, I found the course that I completed because I was motivated. I really wanted to learn this stuff, uh, data analysis. Uh, I, I certainly rated what I learned from that course as being of, of high quality. So th that's one data point. Yeah, and that's, and that's good though, Chris. I'm, I'm not surprised that the number's so high because the technology and the, the way the course is set up is, is very, very good now. 
And there's no reason why you can't get the same level of learning from that course material than you would if you're an in-person course. And, you know, Coursera, like, again, I really encourage anyone who's thinking about professional development for out-of-office workers to to listen to that episode that, that we did a few months ago, Chris, about MOOCs and um, the, the experience that you had, because you talked about the fact that most of the things that were available to you in an in-person course were available in the online version as well, like having tutorials, having forums where people could ask questions. In fact, some of them were done better than you than you would get in an in-person course. That's right. Okay, Gihan, so that's it. That's our trends for 2014. And um, we'll be keeping an eye on these and other technologies that support out-of-office work uh, throughout next year and reporting to our listeners in a regular podcast as well. Yeah, and again, I'd encourage, I've said this a couple of times already during this podcast, and I'd encourage you uh, to go back through the, the podcast episodes that we've done in 2013, because many of the things that we've talked about are because of trends. They're, they're not something that's brand new on the surface, except for the telepresence robot. <laughs> Um, but there are things that we've talked about, like video conferencing, um, online courses, telecommuting, the rise of telecommuting. They're all things that we have covered. BYOD is another topic that we covered mm-hmm. in 2013, and we covered those in depth. So please go back and listen to our past podcast episodes at our website, which is outofofficebook.com. Great. So, uh, yes, it's it's the Christmas it's the Christmas season, Gihan, and uh, I couldn't think of a better present for uh, a fellow out-of-office worker than a copy of the out-of-office book, either in e-book form or in physical form. I think we have a few physical copies. Left. Yes, and I've just realised what I'm going to give you for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one already. Damn. I've read it. <laughs> you wrote it. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. So you can get them, and you can get them, uh, particularly the ebook version, uh, you can get it out of officebook.com. We've got unlimited copies, so please buy copies for all your friends. And we, I think we've only got a couple of the physical copies left, Chris. So if you want, uh, it's now a collector's, edi- collector's edition. It is, it is. Well, Gihan, thanks very much. It remains to thank you, or to wish you and our listeners all the best for Christmas and the holiday season, and we'll be back in 2014. Yeah, and best wishes from me as well. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.